0: oh yeah here we go practice acquisition there are pitfalls throughout the entire process if you want to buy a practice this is how folks acquisition unscripted the Truth When Buying and Selling a Dental Practice. And now your host, Michael Dincio. All right, all right guys, we're back. We're back. This is Mike Dincio, another episode of Dental Acquisition Uncensored. As always, Mike Dincio, your founder of Next Level Consultants, and I have a guest that if you guys watched the the part previously, I have my co founder my 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 co my partner my coco i don't know uh my friend partner uh and we're continuing the conversation from last episode so if you if you're just jumping on this one stop it start it uh, the other episode right before this and listen to it and we're going to continue the conversation right now we're deep diving into the clinical part of due diligence uh and and we were picking up right where we left off. Um, We really got into the hygiene. We got into um, what reports and codes and the, you know, what to look, look at with the schedule. And we just started talking about the mindset of the buyer going into the, the process. And I wanted this to be a two-parter because the the idea of you buying a practice <clears throat> the the you have to be uh you have the the majority sorry i'm struggling to, to say this simply but the reality is is your success is very very heavily weighted on your ability to produce or at least mirror the seller because up to this point if you've been following the program your cpa your banker, everybody's looking at historicals, historical financials, historical new patient counts, historical procedure by provider reports, historical collection rates, blah, 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 blah historical, historical. Then you're going to take it over. And it's really easy to try to predict what they did, but the, there's one factor that changes all of it. And that is you, <laughs> you as the owner. And so today we are continuing this conversation with Ms. Paula Quinn. Paula thanks for joining me again today or well not today we guys we just finished it and we just started over again it's it's part 2 of this same conversation so she's we don't have to introduce her again but Paula thanks again for 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 being here today of course so going on down that vein um you know h- how how important is it in in your mind uh to for a dentist to have an an a realistic um impression or or i guess awareness of what they're able to do as a clinician and i'm i'm going to lead the witness a little bit again here we've had many clients that maybe questioned their ability or or the opposite had many clients that were super confident about their ability how did that impact their transition and all of that because we've we've been through a lot of transitions now and it it's been amazing the results in this situation. So what goes through your head when I ask you that question?
1: <laughs> well, you're right. We have had both ends of the spectrum. And um I think that, you know, we in in the first episode we talked about procedure by code, right? So I think making sure that, you know, when you're looking at those, you know, do you have the ability to do the kind of dentistry? Um, that the previous owner did. And if they did one or two of them, no big deal, right? Who cares? Um, and honestly, even if they did them, you could, you know, you could refer them out or you could have somebody in your practice, but it's going to take an impact on the revenue of the practice and you're buying it at it here, right? that
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you're expecting to produce here. and mm-hmm. if you all of a sudden can't do, some of those procedures or half of those procedures, then obviously you're overpaying for a practice because you can't, you can't perform like that. So um, well said,
0: well said. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we've definitely had both, you know, and I, and I think that um, some insecurities are just, you know, until you get in there, you figure it out, but then some insecurities are, are, insecurities and no matter how hard you try Mm -hmm. you know they're not going to change so if you doubt your dentistry and you doubt what you can do i i I, you know there's a fine line between you know just needing some encouragement and really not having the skill to do it um yeah Yeah. and i don't know michael maybe you have something you're wanting here but only (laughs) i guess you know if you're able to crown prep um,
0: yeah, no, I mean, uh, way. <laughs> you know, you, you, you were married to a dentist and, and your first practice that you owned with him. Um, you talked to me about stories about him doing stuff that maybe was <laughs> questionable. I think all dentists go probably. Thank go God, God my that. name
1: has changed or he would be really upset.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. I didn't even, I didn't even uh, think about some that. Some horror
1: stories, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. We all graduate and come out and have our first patient. And even though we saw patients in school, we have an instructor, um, and we have <laughs> as many hours as we want to get that done, you know. Yeah. So looks completely different in our own practice without a mentor, um, without all the time in the world and the pressure of needing to produce um. To match what we paid right to pay the bills
0: yeah in the same vein uh, i'm not really looking for anything paula just a good conversation around the idea of of that 60 of the risk of the success of this transition um is is your ability to match and produce at the same level because to me the biggest risk of buying a practice is buying something and running it into the ground and we're not talking about the business part of it you could it's the same rent the same team the same benefits the same utilities and loan payments we've already all predicted your team does that for you but you can run a practice into a into the ground if you cannot keep up with the pace if you can't do some of the procedures and looking at that schedule, you talked about it, like look at that schedule and see what they're able to do. That's that's speed and uh, time, right? And then it's also looking at the actual procedures. If you can add that to the practice or if you can't do it, you know, then what's the offset of that revenue if you if you're not a big uh, uh, extractor, extractor.
1: Yeah. like If the, if one doctor takes an hour to do a crown and it takes you two hours, I mean, that's going to have an impact, right?
0: It is. It is. We, we,
1: we had one recently, Michael, I don't know if your head went around this, but we had one who bought more of a GP practice and wants to do high-end dentistry. <laughs> so, you mm-hmm. know, then there's that challenge of, you know, changing that philosophy yeah. from a bread and butter to you know, a high end um -hmm.
0: practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think the your vision has to match the practice you're purchasing. Absolutely. I mean you of course anything's possible, but um it's just gonna be a lot harder if you're trying to change something major like that. Yeah. And you
1: might want a five-year plan. You know, it's like, you know, if you're a big implant person and there's no, nothing happening in there, it doesn't mean that you can't come in and start, you know, someone you have to extract a tooth, you educate them, you know, you, you can change it. It's just not, if all you want to do is implants, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. You've got a bread and butter practice and that goes for any, um,
0: any, 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 anything. So, so procedures are one way so folks think about what you're comfortable with um uh align that with the codes paula talked about getting a code book on the last episode (laughs) code book what's that called what's the official name for that
1: (laughs) it's i mean there's a few out there but it's a c it's the cdt it's the cdt yeah code
0: book hashtag code book um (laughs) Get it. Get a code book and, and and find those procedures and then match them up with with the reports. Um, I I've had situations where uh, well Paula, how how would you figure this out? Uh, I've had situations where the broker misrepresented the practice and they didn't know actually, and they and they they sold it as a bread and butter, but really it was a a, a full mouth. They were doing a lot of full mouth stuff. It's a lot of fixed stuff. How could you identify something like that? Because that's a major, major risk. Um, uh, you know, when you buy a practice and it's slow, that's one thing you should be prepared to to buy a slow practice and do same day dentistry. But if you buy a practice that's doing all on fours, or maybe that's the bad, bad example, but a lot of that kind of work, like, could you find that in the codes? Would Would you well, see that I in the schedule? Because-
1: yeah. yeah, I think you know because you know it's kind of a two to one ratio, two fillings to one crown, or you know, there's all kinds of things out there like that. Um, if all of a sudden you saw, you know, a hundred crowns to one filling,
0: yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. they're doing full mouth reconstruction. It's a pros It's a prosthodontist. It's a pros office at this point, you know. So, yeah. I think if it's it's astronomical, I think just everyday dentist. Um, you know, it can be a little skewed, you know, two to one. That's just kind of a kind of a number out there. You know, if it's three to one, if it's four, if it's, you know, five to one, five fillings to every one crown, they're probably a little conservative. If it's two crowns to every one filling, maybe, I don't know, I'd have to reevaluate that. I'd have to see. I've never played with that. But is that what
0: they say? They,
1: they, they, we, say. we talked about
0: that They, they <laughs> last time. But if all of a
1: sudden you're seeing, you know, a um, I'm not going to cuss an astronomical amount of crowns. Um, you know, there's, they're probably doing some full mouth reconstruction. Um, you know, if you see veneers have a totally different code. Um, so you could tell if it's a, you know, a lot of cosmetic dentistry. Um, so there's a, you know, just like ortho, you know, if there's a lot of ortho codes, then, you know, they're doing a lot of ortho. So I think you can tell a lot by the codes. For
0: sure, you just read my mind. Let's go down the ortho track. Okay. Um. Thank you for bringing it up. Uh, what is the code? Eighty. Eighty ninety. Eighty ninety uh,
1: for full, and eighty forty for limited.
0: Okay, folks. And eighty eighty for children. Eighty. Okay. Now she's showing off. <laughs> um, oh, ortho. Okay. Pitfalls with ortho, and 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 orthos. If you're listening, um, this is not. These are not your golden. Well, yeah, I mean, this is definitely something to obviously to think about. But GP's playing with the idea of ortho, or or or, hell, even even in ortho, Paula, it was kind of cute, folks. She said we don't cuss, we cuss on this show, don't we? Sorry, it happened. So oh, we do. If you feel if you feel like running one, just go with it. Uh, We we call them passion words on the show, passion, and and you have a lot of passion with. With ortho, if it's something you want to incorporate, that's an opportunity. But go go look under that code and see how many they're doing. Um, I think, Paula, if, I'm, if my memory serves, did you inherit a lot of ortho cases that were prepaid for? Let's talk about that.
1: Um, I wouldn't say a lot. I, I definitely had some. I had a blessing because I had a young associate that came in and finish them all without any additional charge. So I had a unique situation of there were some unfinished and prepaid and he um, did me a solid and, and did that. The seller himself um, did not or care <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the associate because he, he was the one in there and doing them he was so passionate that he wanted to personally, see those through
0: can you walk um, the audience through that like uh, i'm i'm tracking you but what's the risk there for buyers buying uh existing ortho cases um y- you know with the payments uh financial arrangements and all that good stuff
1: yeah i mean you would definitely want to have something in place i mean either the buyers coming in and finishing those cases which is tough right so Some of us keep the buyer or I'm sorry, the seller, excuse me. Some of us keep the seller on because they got a great name. um, They've been with the practice forever and it helps with the transition. And then other times it's easier if the seller's gone. It just depends on the situation. So if the seller is going to stay on and they're the one that started the case, you just need to identify those and make sure that those are very defined in the purchase and sell agreement so that, um, you know, you don't get get into those because if you're taking those over and the patient um either has paid in full, right? Now you're owed some money because you've, you know, you got to finish these cases out or they're making payments. I mean, you don't have that same relationship with those patients. So um, you just you just want to make sure that whatever you do in that purchase and sell that you very much define the situation that you're in, and how that's going to finish out for each of those patients.
0: So there's the so there's the money part, what's collected, what's outstanding, what work is to be done. That's that's that. Then 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 there's the the question of how to incorporate Invisalign in, in or got to quit well, saying Invisalign. But someone like Invisalign.
1: Well, I mean mine were brackets and wires. So, um oh, so wow. I had I needed a full-blown, you know, bracket and wire person, so <laughs> it would have been, it would have been impossible to find, you know, just an average associate off the street. So I think you're right though. You got to look at the money aspect and you also have to look at the treatment and you have to look at the philosophy. Right. So, um, you know, for instance, this case, this associate had started this, you know, poor kids canines were up in his eyeballs <laughs> pulling them down, like uh, what if I, you know, if I hadn't done my due diligence, like there's no way I would have had to send them to an orthodontist. Yeah, um, refund some money. You know, there are uh, kinds of yeah of things. So you just got to be careful when buying ortho. You got to be either really comfortable with it or the The person has to stay on and do it, or yeah. we've got to really define what's happening in the situation.
0: And and, and I guess we t- we're making this about ortho. Sorry, Ma- no, no, no. That that was me, but b- mainly because of the financial arrangements. That really goes for really big cases in general. I think if you're buying a practice where there's a seller who's getting into dentistry and being super nerdy and doing big things, like it might make sense to to keep them on finish out that work in progress as we call yeah, it. I mean,
1: even if they just dropped an implant a couple months ago.
0: Yeah. And there's the warranty- of that
1: implant failing Yeah, it could happen. So you've got to have some, some liability around that. Right. Yeah. What you're getting at.
0: Yeah. Well, liability, financial arrangements, how much money was collected, how much work is, is to be done. So ortho exaggerates that idea, but like, you're right. Implants, any major cases that, that, might have a longer, quote unquote, warranty. They even need to get watched. You need to ask how much money was collected up front. Is there any more work that needs to be done? Can you do that? So, you know, I'm not trying to scare the shit out of you guys, but this stuff really does need to be thought of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Dennis come to me all the time. I don't, we don't, you know, listen, you guys are super smart. You can figure this stuff out. Most of the time it's fine this these are the horror stories this is how you eliminate the horror story is is looking at this kind of stuff so um, yeah, so i think
1: it boils down to just those big cases like you just said michael it's just you know coming up with a plan around it a financial plan if you're comfortable as a new dentist coming in and buying a practice if an implant fails or or you need to do something are you comfortable doing it if you're not you know, what's plan B? Do we because if you're comfortable, you just hold some money back. You know, you just say if they've collected it all, some of that has to go with you. Yeah. to you know, to be to be able to warranty that investment. Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable, then it's the other plan. Can the seller be responsible for that? And then what does that look like?
0: Yeah, beautiful. Right? I mean that that's exactly right. Yeah, it's perfect. I uh your attorneys help you, you know, solidify all of these. Little nuances, and and uh, we had uh, Robert Montgomery, another legend in the industry, talk about the purchase and sale. We didn't get that deep, but a guy like like him can can figure all that out uh, and really protect you. That's what your attorneys for, by the way. Everybody thinks uh, I, I feel like people. Sorry, I'm going to go down a path here. I'm going to do clinical due diligence, but that's why you have a team. But but understanding the roles of each person on the team. Is really really key. Your attorney's the one writing the paragraph in the contract that specifically says, "Hey, any work in progress is dealt with this way, and any uh, warranties are dealt this way." And so that's what your attorney's for, obviously. Um, anything? Uh, I'm going to kind of shift this a little bit towards team now. I know that's not clinical, but we didn't cover any transitional issues with team with. Um, um, Art Wiederman. we just we really just focused on numbers. So Paula, we're kind of experts in the team uh, world, and I know you dealt with some stuff in the team department. So it's really this I know is what you're it, talking about. I know you don't, uh, but <laughs> I'll, I will have fun reminding you. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it it kind of goes uh, again towards this question. What are what are some of the biggest pitfalls that you had when you purchased your practice and? again, leading the witness slightly uh, because I was so close to it, but there was a lot of team issues. And I think I think team in general is something that our clients deal with. doesn't necessarily have to be yours, Paula, but maybe all of the deals that we've been a part of with team. Um, can you think of some some scenarios of, of things that we can get ahead of before the, the purchase goes down?
1: Um, I guess asking...
0: <laughs> for those of you watching on youtube <laughs> paula's dog uh just made a guest appearance which is a which is a good moment to uh remind you that you should be subscribing to youtube and watching uh our faces uh interact and you can see C- coda coda just popped up <laughs>
1: uh, a little
0: bit of coda. hi coda um yeah team team issues with transitions i mean i, I gotta be honest this is one of the biggest things uh okay. yeah
1: well I'm going to start with mine briefly, because mine was probably the most unusual circumstance ever. Um, What could I have done differently to know that when I walked in day one, that there was actually no team? I I don't know that I could have done anything different, Um, you know, on the, on the, on the prospectus and, and what the broker gave to me and, and the dentist um, selling dentist gave to me, there was an entire team with their wages and then when I walked in, there was no one. Um, I yep. I don't know. Um, I guess it could have had a bigger voice in the moment, but, you know, what was done was done. I think what we see mostly is just teams in shock, right? Um, mm-hmm. Teams upset, teams feeling um, that um, they instantly have a, a distrust. Yeah. Um, there's something that went on behind their back. Nobody trusted them enough to tell them. Yeah. Um, how could this happen? They're very afraid of what's to come, but um, you,
0: but you've bought and sold. There's a reason why you don't tell team. And, and we've discussed this. It, it, it does protect everybody in your situation. You had no team day, day one. And, and actually there. You were protected legally. You just had to execute that, and you. Yeah, didn't. no,
1: no, no. I was, and and I was different because you know when I sold, I told the team too in advance. <laughs> don't uh, do
0: that, folks. Don't I, do that. I know, I know. Don't
1: do that. <laughs> uh, it was a different circumstance. I was lucky enough to have the, the buying doctor come in and work for a month. Um, you know, my circumstance was completely different. The reason we don't tell is because I'm a buyer and if they get spooked, what happened to me is going to happen to you all. Um, you know, they're going to come in and the team's going to be, if, without even giving the new owner a chance, they're going to jump ship, right? They're going to mm-hmm. go look somewhere else. And that and that's why we don't tell, yeah. is I want to protect the, the buyer and make sure that um, they have a chance to meet you and know you and know that they're going to be in good hands and that I – as the seller handpicked you um, to buy practice because our philosophies aligned and I knew you were going to take good care of my team. So we want a chance to tell the team that. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you just tell them before they meet you, they have no idea. And, you know, we're left to make up all kinds of things in our head. So I think, you know, bringing the buyer in the day of and, and they get to meet you, they get to be introduced to you. You get a chance to, to talk to them a little bit um has seemed to work out really well in in most situations um
0: let me let me flip your brain, brain to a different direction okay. um and that is change uh, every young buyer uh went through school modern day dentistry and they're buying a practice where the seller might not be so modern and so one of the things that buyers want to do is make change right and, ha- and how hard that can be for team. Do you have any suggestions around how to implement team with a newer team to you, but an older team to the practice?
1: So I think what you're saying is just, well, I mean, first of all, we typically suggest don't make a ton of change in the first six months. You know, just, just you're, you are new, you know, you're there to learn. Their way might be, they may have some amazing ways and a lot of ways that, might actually teach you I guess I shouldn't say all buyers are brand new because you know buyers come in all shapes and sizes but we mostly deal with you know babies straight out of you know school or you know been being an associate for a couple years and they're ready to buy Um, Mm -hmm. but I know that there are some more seasoned doctors that definitely um, become buyers that you know probably have a little bit more experience underneath their belt but let's talk about the the mass the majority that we're talking about so you have a lot to learn right you get in there and you know not only do you need to earn their trust but um there's a lot of experience in that room and um I think sitting back and listening to them for 6 months doesn't hurt you get this is your vision this is your baby but you get to you get to make those changes you're going to own it for the next
0: what, 20, 20, 20 30 50 years, years yeah. you know,
1: who knows, 50 years. Hopefully
0: not 50 folks. Invest your money, folks. Invest your <laughs> money. Uh No, Paul, you, you hit it. And that okay. is that uh, the team has to trust you first. And we've had some clients that the team never trusted the doctor right out of the gate. And it, it, it was difficult to earn that back. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge in itself. So you do got to win their trust because they're selling treatment for you, by the way. You're not the best salesperson, God, God's gift to sales. So they, you do need that team. Um, so so trust is huge and I'm glad you, you brought that up. Um, I, I also think like if you're buying that smaller practice, kind of like you did the startup, the fixer upper, it's probably more prone to change than you, if you bought a practice doing... A million dollars or more, and it's kind—dare of, I say—a uh, well-oiled machine. Is there a different strategy around change uh, of those two profiles of practices in your mind?
1: Well, I think sometimes a broken practice, you do have to change a little quicker, right? If if it's failing, you, can, you know, it's already it's already <laughs> not doing what it needs to be doing. So, how much more harm can you do? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think if it's a well-oiled machine, definitely you, you come in, you just go with the flow, you earn trust, you learn from what they're doing, right. And then, you know, you may even alter your vision and your changes you want to make based on what they're doing. Like, Hey, I actually like that better. Or, Hey, I like that. Let me tweak it a little bit. So I think there's a lot of sitting back when you come into something where, like I came into where you're living um same day dentistry just do it do it yeah <laughs> just do what you want to do cuz there's nothing that you can probably do to hurt it and you can only help it you know i think i think some of the the biggest things that i i find you know pre buying is just for me um you know and and you mentioned earlier don't promote us and i'm not going to it's just know that the <laughs> know that the broker you know, as, as great as brokers are, and as honest as brokers are, they're representing the seller, right? So they can, they're they're there to buy or to sell a practice. Mm -hmm. So as a buyer, you either get a buyer rep or you just really do your diligence. Um, Just be careful because, you know, you get advice from sometimes too many people, Mm -hmm. right? We we have, we have people who listen to a lot of podcasts and (laughs) There's different opinions on a well, lot. Well, Mike
0: things. D'Incio said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that oh. one they need to listen to. Yeah. No, but exactly. I, I think that it can be pre buy and, and after you buy. And I think the pre buy is, you know, um, do your due diligence and know that, you know, you, you are representing yourself. So no matter what information you're giving, given, you need to go in and, and do your due diligence, yeah. whatever that looks like. Right. Yeah. I think talking to the seller because, I've seen, and, and I did this, you know, you, you get caught up with the broker and the lawyer and the contract, and all of a sudden there can be some distrust. So I think making sure mm-hmm. that you talk to the seller at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody that's- you look in the eye and and have a chance to have a conversation with, that's, that's where the truth lies. It's
0: um, good advice. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think knowing you know it all, no matter how, you know, and I kind of said that earlier, being a perfectionist you'll never know it all until you have experience. You can probably think of any job you've had in your life. You can probably think of, you know, being a freshman versus being a senior in high school. Um, you think you know it all. And then, you know, four, three, four, six, 10 years in you're like, Oh, okay. You know, even being a teenager, you know, you mm-hmm. think your parents are stupid and then <laughs> you realize you don't know it all. Right. So that, and I think this, you know, listening to too many people. What I've seen once they buy to to watch out for is the changing too quickly. And that's what brought this whole thing up, right? Changing too quickly. um, You And again, you listen to either bad advice um, or you're given really good advice and you don't take it because you're a bit arrogant because you (laughs) have worked as an associate in a practice for many, many years. And then the last thing I think is just, people who are drowning forget to reach out, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you Mm -hmm. think you're supposed to know it yeah, and you're afraid to ask for help because, you know, that's, you're a dentist. That's not something you should know how to (laughs) dental practice.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say that because just because you're a dentist doesn't mean you're the best leader or business owner ever made. Uh, uh, We have a lot of clients that like won't admit to themselves or to the team that they don't know something and that's dangerous um well we've had i'm not saying we have now but we've had clients that walked into practices and they didn't want to look i guess weak or incompetent it was maybe an, an, an insecurity i will tell you the most confident people can say you know what i don't know i'm gonna find that out and get back to you um that i think that instills comp- your team your te- your team knows that you're not feeding them a line of bullshit or that you're just trying to dance in traffic i hate i hate that word or that phrase dance in traffic it it's okay not to know something just say i got a team of advisors i don't know i i'm a brand new owner uh, i'll find that out we'll do the right thing um that's okay i think your team needs to hear that but there's also there also are some things that you need to do to get prepared walking into that. And having an HR manual is great to have it, it enforces stability with the team. And um we're we're gonna get into that actually. Uh HR for Health is our is our uh group that we're gonna get into some of that later on in the in the season. So but anyways, I digress. The the reality is is um too much change versus uh, not so much change and I think it just depends is the overall overarching uh, idea there um any last thoughts Paula or or, or comments about just the fit of a, of a dentist buying a practice clinically even leadership wise um it's so important but any last thoughts that you may have to to add before we shut this bad boy down
1: you know I would just say read your purchase and sell don't rely on somebody. Um, I would say, you know, take inventory of the big things, the big things in the practice, when you go in and do your due diligence of all the numbers and you're evaluating, um, the technology and all the different things in the practice, those really big, important things that, you know, you're going to need take pictures, um, take inventory, compare that to your purchase and sell. There's, you know, there's a clause on there that's exclusion and inclusion, right? So if someone writes all the things that are included and they leave out things that aren't included, but they don't exclude them, you know, it, it can be it can be somewhat of a battle. So just if there's something, you know, the autoclave, the the lasers, the intraoral cameras, just take note of all those and and just make sure that the inventory is there on your purchase and sell. Um, I think if there's things like uh, membership plans, things where they've already pre-collected money on deals that have, you know, marketing that's gone out there of, of specials, anything that might affect you. And again, it's, it's totally fine. Go with it. That's, that's marketing for you. It's advertising. I think you just need to know what you're getting yourself into. You know, if, if they have a membership plan that they're pre-paying for, and then you have to honor that membership plan, um, it can be, you know, a little expensive. So, just make sure that there's things in regards to uh taking the team from you um you know memberships marketing that's out there trying to think um what else oh oh one other thing that i wanted to say it was really important that i wish i would have known is um how are you credentialed right so when i came in um you know i just credentialed my own doctor i'm like to heck with it like let's just get your name on a piece of paper and get you in there. And lo and behold, I like had the worst fee bracket ever in all of America. And I had to go through two years of this, right. Cause I just, I just didn't know. So um, I think making sure that, you know, your, your fee schedule is one thing, but your, your insurance fee schedules is what's more important how you're credentialed, how you are in network with each of these providers, which really someone um, with a lot of uh, experience can do that for you. It's it's really hard. You know, Susie Q, I'll just call her that because I called her that before, up front might not know how to do that. So don't just trust someone saying, sure, I've done that before. Yeah. There's a process. And then the the last thing I would say is, you know, you you inherit – ARs and 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 credit. You you inherit a lot of financial stuff, right? In your practice, um, a lot of outstanding stuff. And I would say the best thing that I did was get a third party biller in there um, that cleaned everything up, looked at my credits, looked at where my ARs are, just got me in an order. And if if mm-hmm. Susie Q up front's going to take it over, that's totally fine. I just want to make sure that what I bought and where I'm at now is, um, I know, you know, because even in a due diligence prior to buying, that's hard to know. So when I buy it, I want to make sure that there's somebody in there that can tell me where we are, what we need to do, how we need to make this beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to hand it back to the front office, that's great. Um, That would just be my couple pieces of advice from being an owner and not the learning the hard
0: way <laughs> yeah that there was a lot there folks i i uh yes, re, rewind that. that last uh two minutes three minutes and listen to that again i i challenge you because each one of those uh caused paula specifically a lot of heart heartburn and and learned learn you learned a lot from that but absolutely if if there's anything to really highlight uh it, it, with all of that is not not all of the n- none of this would would really put anybody under. That's the great thing about dentistry is is it's such a good business. even one misread during the due diligence process is not going to totally wreck you. It's almost a death by paper cuts, I suppose, if that's even a real thing. Um, but catastrophes are you know what we where we started with this two part series and that's making sure you don't run this thing down uh from a production perspective so Paula yeah. thank, thank you so so much for for spending the time uh with me um you you know i think a lot about you obviously as a as a partner in this business and um folks you can get a hold of Paula i'll put some things down in the description below um, reach out uh, she's an open book. You can set up a, a consult, have this discussion with her and her experience. She, she also sold, so she's been on both sides. A lot of experience here, uh, clinically uh, and professionally. So uh, don't don't hold back. Reach out. So thanks again, Paula, for being on the for, on the show. Thanks
1: for having me on.
0: Okay, talk to you soon. Okay, probably in like an, a minute. Bye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Unscripted. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Densio. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.